0: Today's show is brought to you by our new sponsor, Cog Network. Cog Network, geared for gain. Cog Network is hedge fund investing evolved. By owning Cog Network tokens, you get exposure to the hedge fund's gains. The hedge fund is comprised of algorithmically traded commodity futures and investment in hard assets related to energy. The first hard asset is partial ownership of a multi-million dollar solar farm
1: that has a crypto mining operation attached. I mean, this is really something that both traditional and crypto investors can come together and participate in. So for traditional investors, they can get exposure to cutting-edge blockchain technology in a framework that they're familiar with. A hedge fund, right? And crypto investors can get exposure to an actual security that bears dividends and includes non-crypto assets. So that's super cool. And just for
0: full disclosure, COG Network is a fully registered and regulated entity qualified by the SEC as a Reg D as well as a Reg S and has a 506C exemption. They've been working with lawmakers since 2017 to get this idea built out in a fully compliant way.
1: Crip Nation, if you guys are interested in learning more about a tokenized hedge fund, go visit www.cog.network. All right, all of you good, wonderful citizens of Crip Nation, it is that time again. Yes, that time again that I am joined by the notorious Pizza Mind, uh, my compadre, my buddy. How are we doing over here, man? How's quarantine treating you? Can you believe it's the a? It's the first day of the new Q three. Uh, and we're still in quarantine. Did you think that that was going to happen?
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because no one would wear their fucking mask or stay inside like a bunch of selfish bratty pieces of shit. While the rest of the world gets to go out and enjoy their summer, we're stuck inside because we fucked up. And we deserve it. This is this is punishment. Americans are on timeout. I, I can definitely say we deserve it. But there's one group of people that may not deserve the punishments that they're receiving. We're going to be talking about Telegram today, getting their wrists swatted and their wallets looted by the cronies and thugs at the SEC. So with us today to give us some full commentary is George Pesok from Crow Mooring. George, welcome to Crypto 101. Well, thanks for having me. I'm
2: really happy to be here. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure if that's necessarily the introduction anybody was expecting Sounds like (laughs) pizza mind's a little pent up here in quarantine, but it sounds like he had to get it off his chest. So I'm going to let the boy do what he does best. And what he does best is speak his mind.
0: And even though I'm dropping bombs of cold, hard truth, this is not financial or legal advice.
1: George, much different cat. You're buttoned up. You are an attorney. Uh, We're looking at you right now. Nobody could see, but he is in a three-piece suit uh, behind the scenes, big mahogany desk. This is the real deal. This is George. Uh, And he's going to tell us a little bit about what's going on with the Telegram case. So for anybody listening right now who might not have heard of Telegram, uh, which is a big messaging app that's, you know, private, it's huge. They got billions of users, Uh, I think, I think like, or maybe not billions, I'd say, what is it, like 300 million users? It's a lot. Uh, They got kind of indicted, I guess, by the SEC, and it just got settled recently. So this entire episode uh, is coming at you from a perspective of a lawyer who studied the case, who's tracked the case, who's an expert on the case. He did not have any direct dealings in settling the case, but he is a domain expert. So this is a real treat for us. I mean, Pete, we've never had like real lawyers come on the show to talk about like real cases that have like real case law. You know, like this is, this is something real. So uh, George set the lay of the land what the heck is going on and why is this case that was settled? Why are we talking about on crypto podcast? Why is this so momentous for our industry?
2: Well, yeah, you know, it's a big question. So, but, but I'll, try, I'll try and take it on. And I, I appreciate you embellishing uh, on a three-piece suit. <laughs> uh, I haven't worn <laughs> one of those since our quarantine started. So uh, I don't even know if I can fit into them. So, you know, the Telegram case is actually really important for the, for the crypto space, right? Because it's it 's the first litigated case that tested the, the underlying theory of the saft for those who aren 't familiar with the saft it 's a simple agreement for future tokens what it what it means is so I, I got to give a little history I'm i 'm sorry i'll make it i 'll make it brief so oh,
1: we appreciate the history
2: okay, great so you know in two thousand and seven two thousand and seventeen there was the, the ico craze the initial coin offering craze where Everybody that wanted to issue a token would issue a token, uh, whether or not they had a product, whether they could even accomplish what they were promising in their white paper. It didn't matter. We had just this massive explosion uh, of, of these offerings that were unregistered, and it, that had to be stopped, right? So the SEC clamped down on it. We had the Dow report and said, like, no, no, you you can't you can't do that, right? Uh, so that 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 put a, a big a big stop on the ICO craze. So what was developed afterwards was the SAFT uh, and and the SAFT was supposed, it's an agreement. It's a contract between an issuer and a sophisticated investor, somebody who meets certain criteria and the agreement says, look, uh, me as an issuer, I would like to, I'm, I'm looking to build this new product, this new platform, this new blockchain revolutionary platform that's going to make the world better and do all these great things, but I need some money. Uh, you give me some money and I promise that once the platform is built, I'll give you the tokens that you need to use the platform. The important, the important part here is that the actual agreement itself, at, we, both parties agree this is a security. So they, but they, and they register it pursuant to an exemption, uh, to an SEC re- uh, exemption Reg D. Now, the theory that, that's key is that by the time that I've built the platform and I issue the token, that token is no longer a security. It's now a you know what people refer to as a utility token. It means it has utility, so the people that are going to purchase it at that point are going to purchase to use it, whereas the people who entered into the SAFT purchased this investment contract with the hopes of later, later getting this token. Uh, this... Telegram was the first case that tested that agreement and, and that proposal of whether that actually worked. Uh, the answer, unfortunately, it was no. And in a surprising way, no. Uh, one that I think caught a lot of people off guard. Uh, and I'll, I'll cut to the conclusion. So what caught a lot of people, and especially me, off guard, too, and it made it very interesting, is that the SEC argued for the first time that the SAFT investors were actually statutory underwriters. Uh, what, they, what that means is that the, the, the SAFT investors didn't intend, it didn't intend to actually use the tokens when they received them. Their intent was really to d- redistribute them and sell them to retail investors, right? So that makes you an underwriter. What you're doing is you're actually distributing the tokens for Telegram. Uh, and, and, and importantly, with, for the Reg D exemption that I said that these SAFTs fall under, uh you can't, you can't you can't participate or you can't you can't avail yourself to the reg d exemption if you're an underwriter that's clearly written into the law so that argument was uh, was raised by the sec and the judge it bought it in in his decision he said that saft investors are actually statutory underwriters and therefore, the, the offering doesn't qualify for Reg D, and it violates the securities, uh, securities offering. So he issued a temporary restraining order, which what uh, well, not temporary. He issued a restraining order and said, you cannot issue this token at this point, uh, which, is, which is key. And and when, when was it, that?
1: When was that 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 ruling, that official part of the ruling happened?
2: You know, uh, so I, I think that actually that part of the ruling happened, I think, in March.
1: Okay, uh, cool. And, and I, I remember the, that. And I remember that and kind of what happened recently that, you know, was, you know, resulted in a settlement.
2: Yeah. So once you, and mind you, my dates could be a little bit off. I've been stuck in the house in quarantine days, no longer matter, you know, Right. right after that telegram issued, um, pursued an interlocutory appeal, which means they instantly went to, uh, the, the second circuit and appealed the decision, uh, And really they were just at that point, they were trying to figure out what was going to happen because that was a big, a big deal. Uh, They ultimately decided it's not worth to keep fighting it. So they decided to settle. Uh, And and that's where we're at today. So now it's a case is mostly done at this point.
0: So telegrams just spent the last two years building this blockchain. They were literally about to launch the token. I think the next day before this federal injunction blocked it, it was even listed on eToro of all things. And then that had to be taken down before the market went live, which is insane. Why do they have to cancel the tokens and refund all the money as opposed to just pay a fine like EOS and so many others?
2: Yeah, you know, you bring up EOS, and that's an that that's an interesting point. I uh, the EOS settlement, we could discuss that entirely. We can spend all night on it, and I'm I'm happy to. So the the the, the difference I would I would say is. Telegram is, is an, a functioning company, right? Telegram has been around for a while. They have a platform. They're, some, they're what some of us would describe as centralized. I wrote an article and I titled it reading the blockchain tea leaves, trying to figure out why the SEC took such a different approach to Telegram that they did from EOS, right? EOS settlement, EOS was a brand new company. Uh, they did a two-token separate system of, of issuance, which is really unique. Their, their platform is generally decentralized, I guess you can say. Telegram, you have a very centralized unit, Somebody, uh, a company that's, just gonna, that's going to integrate this offering into their platform. And it, the key also is that it hasn't been issued. The token hasn't been issued. So the SEC sought a temporary restraining order so that the token's not issued because you know, once the cat's out of the bag, it's hard to put it back in the bag, right? And, I, th- and I, I think that played a little bit of a role with the EOS settlement because the token was already out. The SEC didn't get to it. Here, the SEC did have a chance
0: to do it, and, and, that's, and that's why they did it. Now, despite my earlier comments in the introduction, I am actually very pro-America. Let me pitch this as a possibility. A little conspiracy. Maybe it got swept under the rug. One difference between EOS and Ripple and Telegram is Telegram's a Russian company. And a lot of these big VCs that put up a ton of the money into the Graham token presale are Russian billionaires that stand to make tremendous profit. Could there be some politics at play here? It could be, uh, right? I'm, I'm
2: never going to uh, say no, but I, 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 think, I think this was a unique offering. I think the SEC is, is actually doing a pretty good job, given the circumstances. And, and I really don't think that played a role in it. I, I could, you know, but obviously, what happens behind closed doors at high levels,
0: I'm not sure. Well, let uh, me let me ask the other side of it then. Why would a Russian company care what the SEC has to say in the first place? Well, because the Russian company took at
2: U.S. investors, and, and by taking U.S. investors, it availed itself to the U.S. To the US jurisdiction. Uh, so that was a, that was, I think, a big mistake. If,
0: but I mean, like, how could they enforce anything? Like, we we all know they're. There's tons of scammers that come from Russia or live in that general region, because their governments won't enforce uh, any kinds of complaints against you know being ripped off as long as they're taking American money. They're doing a good job by their country. They're bringing wealth into the country. But why would why would a, a Russian company uh, obey what the SEC is saying? Like, what what are the ramifications of telling the SEC to go fuck itself?
2: well i mean there, there's there's plenty uh, you never want to piss off a regulator, especially not a not a powerful regulator like the s e c the What would happen is it, you know so the s e c commenced this action, so now we 're dealing with the courts if, if you have to show up if you're, if you are if the court has jurisdiction and you 've availed yourself to u s jurisdiction, you have to show up if you don 't show up. You, you know, you can get a default judgment against you. You can be in contempt of court depending on what you do. If you, uh, and then the, the SEC would come after you, right? Uh, and the question is, look, if you're not planning to fly anywhere and you're not trying to come to the U.S. at all anytime soon or for the rest of your life, yeah, you could probably get away with it. But the SEC has very long arms, you know, they, they, can, they can get you. So you don't really want to mess with them. This is a big deal.
1: Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. Can you, can you also, I mean, I know you said you wanted to hit a little bit on EOS. So while it's fresh on the top of your mind, uh, where did this differ from the EOS ruling?
2: So EOS was not, a, it, it wasn't litigated. EOS was a straight settlement with the, the SEC, right? So, uh, and, and settlements don't have the power of uh, the, the same precedent that a court decision has, which is, that's what makes Telegram unique. So when the EO settlement came out and you're reading it, you have to read it with a, with a grain of salt because it was a negotiated settlement, right? So I, I don't think either party really won. It seems like EO's won because they're still in, in business today. But it was a negotiated settlement. And the thing is, it, you know, it, it really threw at least me for a loop because I think the SEC has been very meticulous with its uh, announcements of settlements. I, I think they, they have... a a huge trove of cases that they've been investigating for for years. And they're being very meticulous with which ones they announce, right? Because every announcement is they're they're letting, they're putting the community on notice, right? Um, So it started with the issuers themselves. Then it progressed to some of the promoters. Then, you know, their theories have developed. I think what happened with EOS is the SEC did something that was very unique with Hinman, uh, where he said that something that's issued as a security, can somehow become a non-security, if it becomes sufficiently decentralized, mind blowing, right? How can something that is a security become a non-security just simply by being decentralized? And I think the key is that EOS attempts to be decentralized, right? That was the intention. Also going back to what the, the, the securities regulations, they're really just a disclosure regime, right? It's basically saying, look, if you're gonna sell a product, you better disclose everything that this investor needs to know to make an informed decision. Now, EOS, a brand new company with no history, arguably doesn't have that much to disclose other than what it disclosed in its white paper, right? What else could it possibly disclose? Uh, Telegram, you have a, a, a functioning company not making any money, right? But by choice, because they refuse to sell out or, or take in uh, advertisers or, you know, they, they want to maintain its privacy. They have their own philosophy as to why they're doing that, but they're not taking any money and all of a sudden, they're going to raise you know, billions uh, right. it, by issuing this token. So it's like, well, maybe you should disclose the fact that you're not making any money. You should disclose who's your, who owns you. Either, you have more things to disclose at that point. So that could, I think that played a large role.
0: So what is the future of Telegram now? Do they go back to the drawing board? Are they allowed to keep some of the money that they raised through non-Americans? What's their strategy from here forward?
2: per the settlement agreement, they only actually paid back 72% of the money, which is, which is consistent with what was agreed upon by the investors, the SAFT investors and Telegram. In the, in the, in the agreements, it said, look, if we can't launch for some reason uh, the token, then we'll give you 72% of your money back. So that's what they've agreed to. So Telegram now goes back to being Telegram and the Ton blockchain, which was, was supposed to be launched by Telegram, has now been launched by another group, uh, a decentralized group. So, and no action has been brought against them, which goes back to my point about the difference between EOs and Telegram.
0: Interesting. So without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Telegram open blockchain, ton, mm-hmm. could potentially have a token attached to it, and that would be fine for them to potentially airdrop to people who bought into the ICO or. What are their options here without getting themselves in further hot water?
2: No, uh, that's interesting. Uh, interesting question. I'm, I, potentially an airdrop, although airdrops could also constitute uh, securities offering. So that's not necessarily a uh, get out of jail free card. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure how they're going to do it. But one reason that I love being in the crypto industry is I'm always shocked by the ingenuity of the crypto community. So I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm just so, as... Yeah. Exactly. I'm just I'm just as excited as everybody to see what where this saga is going to go.
1: Yeah, so it's it's really fascinating because it's one of those things that we, we don't really know what you know what the laws are for these cryptocurrencies and a lot of people ask us like, you know, well there are laws but they don't, do they apply and then well they might apply but we're going to go and it's just the point I'm trying to make is all these all these rules and regulations and all that kind of stuff are slowly being set and we're kind of experiencing the birth of, you know, a regulated industry slowly over time. Um, I don't know, like, what, what, what do you think about where the, the future of just regulation in general for the crypto sphere is really going? And, you know, a lot of people will ask, like, well, you know, is Bitcoin really so strong if the government could ban it if they really wanted to? Or if some, you know, all those kinds of questions. So what do you think about where we're going, where we're at, just high level stuff?
2: Yeah, I think I think the regulator would say that crypto, these offerings, these tokens are really not that unique. It's really just a, a different way to do a securities offering, right? And that's why the regulations are written in such a broad way, because uh, you know, investors and issuers, they can get creative. So imagine writing a very specific law to capture one type of securities offering. It's, well, that incentivizes the industry to develop a new offering that is not does not fit within that uh, language. So the, the, the laws were written very broad, and that's why laws that were written so long are still applicable today. So I think the regulators would say and, and have said, uh, you know, these are just simple uh, securities offerings, most of them at least, and you're just trying to like mask or like put a mask on it and hide what it really is. I think you know the U.S. is the leading uh, the leading financial hub. So I, it, the the more regulatory certainty that we get for the space, the more adoption we'll have. When we can get institutional investors to get in, that's when I think the the, the entire in- industry is going to be propelled to just a whole new different level. Uh, so that's i I'm I'm, ho- I'm I'm hopeful that all this new regulation and, and certainty that's coming with it will lead to a much more robust and prosperous crypto industry.
0: That's true. As long as we can all work together, uh, we're going to make a new beautiful world. However, my concern is what are the fallout ramifications for other projects that did their initial raises using SAFT agreements, either in their private round or their ICO? Um, Is there going to be a new line of cases to follow or what are you seeing and uh, hearing in the rumor mill?
2: You know, that's a, that's a really good question because, uh, that decision it's it, at least it shocked me that the telegram decision shocked me that, t- that staffed investors are now uh, statutory underwriters, So that really gave me pause and it should have gave all staffed investors pause. I think what that decision is going to do. And obviously again, reading tea leaves no necessarily inside information here. It now allows the SEC to expand it's 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 umbrella of regulation right now you now they're gonna be going for more ancillary players, right? They've been focused so much on the issuers uh now they now they can go for the ancillary prayers players and now here they didn't uh, even though the even though they claimed that the staff participants within the telegram matter were statutory underwriters, they actually didn't file any claims against them or make them defendants in the action. uh but that doesn't mean that moving forward. Uh, they won't, right? So think back to the Dow report right. where they came out and said that, you know, the Dow did constitute a, a securities offering, but they weren't bringing an action. Why? Because they wanted to put the industry on notice. Uh, so this could be, I took this, I personally took this as notice. So if you're a SAFT investor, uh, you should be on notice. What I what I think less, le- maybe less concerning than the SEC is, is the plaintiff's bar. Uh, because I think the plaintiffs are... Are, gonna, are going to see this decision and start filing some claims. And why why is this so important for the plaintiff's bar? I don't know if you saw, but there was like 11 class actions filed against crypto exchanges or token issuers in April, I'm, I'm within like the same week. I'm pretty sure it was the same law firm that filed them all. Uh, one of the things that legal commentators rightfully pointed out is that one major hurdle that these class actions are going to have to face is that under the securities laws, if you're claiming that there, there was an unregistered securities offering, which is pretty much what all these claims have, they will have, you know, some of them have some fraud charges, but the, they all share this one claim that this token issuance was actually an unregistered securities offering. Well, you have a one-year statute of limitations uh, by the book saying you have to bring your case, within one year of that offering in order for it to be valid. Now, uh, for some of the ones that they filed against, the one year, I'd like to see how they're they're gonna get around that because some of them have passed more than a year. The key to SAFT investors being statutory underwriters, they're now active participants in the distribution, meaning that the one year statutory limitations hasn't even started to run or arguably doesn't run until the st- the SAFT investors actually sell all of their tokens. These are brand new theories that have to be developed, but that's a a, a gaping hole. And now this ruling has opened, and I presume that plaintiffs' bar is going to catch onto it quickly. And what does that do? All these uh, all these SAF, all these token offerings that were done through SAFTs. Well, now there's a potentially a longer of, not a longer statute of limitations. But if you thought your statute of limitations had run because you sold the SAFT or you distributed your token so long ago,
1: Got it. Uh,
2: you know, you might be in trouble.
1: So what, so what are the implications for any of these tokens that are listed? You know, we know many of them, right. Personally that are listed that fundraised through a SAFT, like, and they were listed on the exchange. So does the exchange, you know, circuit bear any sort of uh, brunt of this ruling? Or are they going to have to, you know, batten down down the hatches? Are the tokens going to have to batten down the hatches? Like, What kind of happens on those fronts?
2: It's the crypto space. So I guess you sit there and you hope for the best, right? You try to make as much money (laughs) as possible and then you you hope for the best. Uh, But but in all seriousness, the answer is, I don't know, right? I don't know what I would do if I was uh, an issuer that really tried to do things right. And I was told that the SAFT was a good uh, vehicle to get my token out there. I've now created my platform, delivered on the promises. Now my token is circulating. People are using it. I mean, technically you, you might still be liable. And, and then what happens? I don't know. But I think this goes back to the SEC not wanting, uh, at least from my perspective, the SEC doesn't want to kill uh, the industry. If they did, they would have taken down Tether two years ago. Industry's gone, right? Uh, but they don't. They're, they're being fairly meticulous about this and i don't think they're going to go after the 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 white knights or the companies that actually delivered I, I, i could be wrong
0: i think they're still just trying to police and clean up the space to be fair the space does need to be cleaned up and we have not done a very good job of policing it ourselves and that's something that we in the crypto industry need to do we need to speak out more about scams and people who are not delivering on promises who are starting up one project and leaving six months and going to another one before they've even delivered their full white papers roadmap. We should be a lot more vocal about that and run these guys out of town like they would get run out of Wall Street. So I guess until we do a better job before it even gets to the SEC, they're going to be necessary. But again, again, to be totally fair, the chairman of the SEC, Jay Clayton, recently said it is about time to update a lot of these laws around investing specifically requirements for becoming an accredited investor. He said a quote, loosely, loosely quoted, something like, me and my staff know more about securities and investing than pretty much everyone because we work at the SEC, yet we don't qualify to be accredited investors. It might be time to have another look at these things. So this act was passed in 1933. That's 90 years ago, before we even had freeways in this country, before there were interstate highways. Those are the laws that we're still abiding by. Before there were computers, global markets, blockchains. Have you heard any rumblings about what these new accredited investor laws or frameworks might look like? Yeah, you
2: know, so I, so I, I, I have, um, but I'll be completely honest. I, I'm, I, you know, I'm. Tr- I'm an enforcement and defense attorney, a litigation attorney. So I, that that's more on the transactional side and investment side. So I've I've, I've stayed away from it a little bit. The accredited investor regime kind of runs a little bit contra to the entire crypto space, which it, it, you know it's all about inclusion and uh, decentralization. Really, by I think I I think what Clay was talking to is that he, you know he's he wants to make it easier to become to fall within the uh, accredited investor. Uh, designation with a lot which allows you to take on more risk in your investments even so you're still going to be excluding such a large population uh, which runs contra to crypto so i don't think that those changes are really going to make that big uh, you know of a difference for the retail investor uh, for your mom and pop who just really believes in the space and wants to invest in it
1: wow a lot of fascinating stuff here man um so that was that was a big chunk of things for people to digest i think after all that take a deep breath um you know there's there's a lot that's going on behind the scenes uh for regulation just to make sure that everybody's safe right at the end of the day it's just about the the end consumer nobody's maybe maybe nobody's out there really at the, in the government trying to hurt anybody but it's just all trying to keep everybody safe so let's let's curb the conversation there for the telegram case and george let's get a, a quick idea just behind some other trends that you might be seeing unfold in crypto that are exciting you um you know maybe you're you're a holder of bitcoin yourself is there anything just to kind of bring us home what what's been exciting you these days
2: yeah that's a good question i i think the industry is maturing and I'm seeing some really good applications, and you know what what i what i find what I think happened initially is that the industry was so ahead of its time that it's now reached a level where it really can provide solutions for so many problems that we have, but now they now now they have to wait until the entire uh system catches up right one there's so many interesting projects right like voting through blockchain during quarantine perfect i'm really excited about central bank digital currencies especially with everything that's going on with the quarantine think about it uh, i just read a report something like that the government the treasury sent like 1.2 billion dollars to dead people yeah you know, these are things that yeah. blockchain could fix it's like it's it and it's really i'm gonna say quote unquote simple it's not simple but the technology has the ability to fix it, and once people get over, you know, the fact that this was at one point used on, you know, in the dark net. Bitcoin was once used to pay, you know, hire hitmen or buy drugs and pay and be anonymous. Right? That's how I was first introduced to it. Um, not because I was hiring hitmen, but uh, that's my first research into it. Once you get past that dark beginning, and and look at what it can actually do. It, you know i'm I'm just really excited about it and that's why today I'm, I'm still very bullish on it
0: yeah and it's a great point I mean people that are running drugs also use phones and cars and live in houses we're not banning that stuff um, we're just simply removing their capability of using it for bad with these anti-money laundering rules and kyc and stuff um, these are uh, compromises we make to make sure that money doesn't get in the hands of really really bad people so so be it um george what other legal cases are open right now that you're keeping an eye on uh well so
2: so the ripple one has been uh going on for a while definitely keeping an eye on that one uh i have to imagine we're going to get some decisions soon ish uh there's you know there's some there's some private ones but really, that I think that's the main one. I'm I'm really just interested to see what the SEC is going to do within the next like six months with the, with after the the Telegram decision. There's the kick, the kick action as well. Uh, but I think that one now after Telegram is pretty much in the books. Right? We can move on now.
0: Is this a precedent where you really see the importance of settling out of court before a case is even opened? So maybe you can get away with a fine as opposed to really getting slammed for some law or twist of uh, or interpretation of a rule that you never saw coming.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think so, but but it depends on whether you're litigating against uh, the regulator or in a civil litigation, right? I think we just saw Tezos uh, settle for not a lot of money without admitting any guilt or what, without, without saying that the, the Tesla's token is a security. That's huge because that, that means you get to live another day. So you get to move on. Now, if you're going up against the regulator, uh, that's different because they do, the regulator will have the ability to say, look, this is a security and you need to take and do a rescission offering, pay a huge fine, normally take it out of circulation, uh, you know, it, it, it depends.
1: All right, fascinating stuff, George. Uh, well, if anybody wants to keep tabs, uh, do you do you have like a medium blog, or are you a writer these days? Where do you record your thoughts? Maybe Twitter.
2: Well so <laughs> I've stayed off Twitter just because I it I I would obsess over it all, all day and I, <laughs> I have too many distractions but it's uh Twitter's a great one. So just you know crawl and mooring. I have a I'm a pretty a- active writer client alerts you know reach out on LinkedIn. I'm actually really active on LinkedIn. Love talking about this stuff. Uh really like so I got into it as an investor and I got hooked in that way. So yeah. I I I really still just enjoy it talking about it and I'm happy to discuss it with anybody not necessarily talk legal because really it's just reading tea leaves at this point it's all new uh, you're applying old laws to new technology so who knows where it's going to go I have some predictions I have some thoughts but uh, at the end of the day it's all up for grabs
1: yeah like you said at the beginning even experts uh, sometimes get caught off guard by these different actions that uh, you know law, uh, that we see passed down through government so George, it was truly a pleasure, and it opened my eyes up a lot. Uh, Pete, any closing thoughts here before we sign off to Crypt Nation today?
0: I just hope that uh, this really gets circulated around to everyone in the VC community, and they pay attention because this could really have uh, a huge impact. I think this could just be the tip of the iceberg, and hopefully we can all figure out how to play nice in the sandbox. George, thank you so much for sharing your insights. It's been a real pleasure. We look forward to having you on again next time. And uh, hopefully we have happier things to discuss at that point.
2: I really appreciate the time, guys. I love the platform. Uh, You know, Keep on doing great work. Thank you so much.
0: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day,